What is up and welcome into the Locked On Chargers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade. Today I'll be joined by John Kegley, one of the original founding members of the show. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they will join another league, the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Before we get started, we are two writers who got our start at San Diego Sports Domination, San Diego's top sports blog. We've been covering the Chargers now for over five seasons doing our own Facebook Live show, Chargers Domination Live, which airs weekly during the season. Now this is our third season as the host of the Locked On Chargers podcast, bringing you your team every day. All right, guys. Well, today is going to be our what went right and what went wrong after yesterday. We had to use the entire show for a game recap because there were so many crazy things that happened in it. But we are going to start with the news that Austin Eckler now has a timeline for his return. And it unfortunately looks like he will be headed to injured reserve. But it also doesn't look like it will end his season. After that, we are going to get into Anthony Lynn talking about Justin Herbert and trying to set the record straight on the narrative that he doesn't like him before getting into what went right in the second segment, talking about some of the crazy throws that Justin Herbert made on Sunday, some improved play calling, and also some plays made, some plays made by the defense before everything started to fall apart. And then in what went wrong for this one, we are going to be getting into all of the plays that ended up costing the Chargers the game on Sunday, the turnovers, the sieve of a defense that led up 24 points in the second half and much more. But let's go ahead and get into it. On Monday, the Los Angeles Chargers got a timeline for running back Austin Eckler's injury, and Anthony Lynn wants to set the record straight on Justin Herbert. This is Daniel Wade with your Locked On Chargers lead story. Chargers running back Austin Eckler had to exit the game on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with a hamstring injury. And on Monday, we got a timeline for when he could possibly return when ESPN's Adam Schefter reported Chargers running back Austin Eckler is expected to be sidelined four to six weeks with a hamstring injury and a hyperextended knee. Per source, Eckler now seeking a second opinion on his injuries and timeline. This is not great news for the Chargers, but fortunately, it does look like Eckler will be able to return later on in the season, which it didn't appear that he would on Sunday with how bad that injury looked when it occurred. But the Chargers are going to miss Austin Eckler so much because of what he does for this offense. Anthony Lynn also talked about Eckler and said that he would be finding out more about him and they haven't made any decisions yet. And I think that probably leans towards them getting those second opinions and making sure he really will be out long enough to be put on injured reserve, which will probably keep him there for which will keep him there at least three weeks because that's how long you have to be on injured reserve this season. But Eckler is one of the Chargers' most explosive playmakers. He averaged over 10.8 yards per catch last season and also caught 92 passes for 993 yards. And that is a production level that the other two guys will probably not be able to keep up with. Joshua Kelly, the Chargers' fourth-round rookie, and Justin Jackson will try to do what they can in Eckler's absence. I think both players will be more effective going forward, but this is not good news, especially since Justin Jackson has also had some injuries of his own this year that has kept him out of most of every game so far this season. So the Chargers will definitely miss Austin Eckler's production, and it'll be one less safety net for rookie quarterback Justin Herbert to throw to 
when he gets in trouble. But they will have to do the best they can. And I think one player that could potentially fill in for some of that production is Joe Reed, a playmaker the Chargers took out of Virginia that only has one touch on the year after even the Chargers saying how versatile he was and that he was going to play some running back as well. But another thing that happened on Monday was Anthony Lynn's press conference. And the clear message he wanted to get across is that there is a false narrative about him disliking rookie quarterback Justin Herbert. And what he said was somehow the narrative is that I don't like my quarterback for whatever reason. We drafted this young man at number six in the draft. I'm tied to this young man. I love Justin. Justin knows that. And that's really all that matters. And I think this is definitely improvement on Lynn's former comments about Justin Herbert being a backup for a reason, but I did think that tied to this young man was an interesting choice of words, almost making it seem like he doesn't have a choice in the relationship because the team drafted him, but he also said that he feels like he has to protect Herbert as well. He said a lot of young quarterbacks come to this league and they struggle whenever you have to throw him in there and play right away. I got to balance whether throwing him in there right away into the fire or letting him sit and watch like Patrick Mahomes did. That's something that I'm evaluating. This obviously pertains to the Justin Herbert versus Tyrod Taylor when he's healthy conversation because Lynn has previously said that Tyrod, no matter what, would be the starter and now has backed off from that a little bit and isn't saying that as definitively. But I think the biggest selling point for Justin Herbert is what his teammates so far have said about him. Keenan Allen saying that he's been a baller and specifically talked about the play where he ended up hitting Jalen Guyton for a 72-yard touchdown when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are bringing an all-out blitz. And he also said, we just haven't been able to get the win for him. And he wasn't the only one that had some positive things to say because one of the defensive leaders, Joey Bosa, said if it wasn't for him, I don't think we would score a lot of those touchdowns. And I think he's absolutely right. The Chargers offensively have been better even in three losses than they were before Justin Herbert took over. And with the amazing start that he's had so far, putting up some historic numbers, I expect even with Anthony Lynn's prior words that Justin Herbert now controls this team, and I think he could for the rest of the season. But we do have two more segments to get into. We're going to be talking about what went right in the first segment before getting into what went wrong at the end of the show. But first, I need to tell you guys that this season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. You can catch every snap from every game with full game replays and see all the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, and wild comebacks and breakout stars from every game, every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place, and NFL Game Pass is the only place you can replay every game all season long. You also learn from the league's best players with over 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes go inside the game from a player's perspective as they break down the game's concepts and techniques. Learn from the best like Deshaun Watson, Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Adams, and many more. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire NFL Films archive. Just go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. Alright guys, well before we get into what went right from this game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I do want to just get John's opinion on Austin Eckler. He wasn't here when I was talking about it in the news. So, John, now that we know a little bit more about what Austin Eckler's injury and absence is going to look like, how do you think it affects the Chargers? How big of an injury do you think this is for them right now in this part of the season? This is a huge injury for a team whose offensive line is not exactly the greatest. Um, it's improved. It's performing better than we thought it, it did, but it's still not the greatest offensive line. And 
you can't rely just on Josh Kelly and Justin Jackson. You need the three-headed monster of those running backs. So with Austin Eckler being the biggest, most important of those three, he needs to be on that field. He needs to be the guy running the ball, catching the ball. And he's basically the leader of this team, too. People don't, don't, probably don't see it that way. They probably see it as more of a Keenan Allen and Derwin James and Joey Bosa. But Austin Eckler is the leader on this team as well. He sets the tone on offense. And with him being gone, you're going to have to find that momentum and that tone-setting play somewhere else, whether that be through Joshua Kelly or setting up screenplays somehow to the running backs to get them going. But you're going to have to find a new way to get the offense going. Yeah, and I have seen some people suggest on Twitter that Joe Reed – could potentially be that guy. I mean, that's definitely somebody that can manufacture yards, that can just kind of generate yardage that just normally isn't there, which is something that Austin Eckler is just so good at. I mean, creating something out of nothing. A guy that is just going to take a ball four yards behind the line of scrimmage and is always a threat to take it the distance. They just don't have anybody like him. He's the only one of their running backs that you really trust lining up out of the slot as an actual receiver. I mean, he's their best weapon on screenplays. So many things that he does well for them. There's a reason they signed him in the offseason to a longer deal for a running back. So I think it is an absolutely huge loss. It's not much of a loss either to experiment with Joe Reed. You're one and three. What do you got to lose? Yeah, I mean, obviously at this point, they don't trust him as a wide receiver. I get that. I mean, he has one touch on the season, and it was an eight-yard touch, and he really didn't have much going on on that play. Criminally underused, really not used at all. We saw last week without Mike Williams that K.J. Hill actually in week three was the guy getting some targets. This last week, it was more of Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton that were in place of Mike Williams. But Joe Reed, just as that player, we heard that he was going to play some running back. Right, So where are his carries in the running game, especially down down Austin Eckler now. So I wonder if that could be something for them going forward because he definitely brings a different skill set as well. But let's get to the game. Let's start with the positives. Obviously, we have a lot of negatives to get in on the back end. But when we're talking about this game, I think one of the things that everybody knows is that Justin Herbert, for the most part, had a good game. Going into the final drive of the game, he had a perfect passer rating. He ends up... 20 of 25, completing 80% of his passes, which, I mean, is pretty ridiculous, especially with just how efficient he was with his yardage. Now he's averaging 8.7 yards per attempt, which is the most since 2006 that any quarterback has had through his first three games. So he has been really good and had a costly mistake in every game. But I just want to look at some of the really impressive throws from this game. And I think that is all what went right, because I think every week, we kind of peel back another layer of Justin Herbert and see something else that is pretty exciting and gives us kind of something to talk about here because he's doing something different pretty much every week. In this game, you get to see the throw to Keenan Allen on the sideline where he just puts a laser beam over the outstretched arms of the defender and Keenan Allen makes a ridiculous catch and a toe-tap grab on the sideline. But another one to me was the third and seven play. Under pressure, he throws it off of his back foot. It ends up as a 72-yard touchdown to Keenan Allen, Bruce A- to Jalen Guyton. Bruce Arians actually talked specifically about that play. Anthony Lynn said, you know, it was just like Patrick Mahomes, basically just being able to backpedal, keep going, going by yourself just enough time to throw it right before you're going to get hit and then just make an absolutely perfect throw against man-to-man coverage deep down the field. These just aren't easy things, John. I think it's just we're seeing more of Justin Herbert's game growing every week, and that's pretty fun to watch. He's definitely proven me wrong. I did not expect any of this out of him. I thought he was going to be your typical 
system type guy, if you will. Like you, they come out of Oregon and they have to run a certain system. You know, when Cam Newton came out of Auburn, he was running a, a system kind of close to what he ran in Auburn, run, running QB, running around with the with the ball, making time, throwing the ball deep, big play type of offense. And for the most part, it was working for him. They weren't winning games, but he was making a lot of yards, a lot of touchdowns. The offense was effective. Herbert, I was expecting the same thing, but he's fitting this Chargers system a lot really well, though. And these throws he's making, wow. You, not just this week, the whole season that he's played. Every he's week throwing. there's wow throws. That's the surprising part to me because it wasn't doing that in college. Every week, several throws where you just kind of, like, I didn't think he could do that. Like, it's crazy. Exactly. You took the word right out of my mouth. You just never saw it in his college film, and he's making it in the NFL. First start, and he's doing it. Second start. And now this game is probably like his best one of wild throws. Just how he placed these balls on a dime to Jalen Guyton, Keenan Allen, even the Tyrone Johnson touchdown. Tyrone Johnson splits a cover two, basically, and two guys are literally right above and below him, and you have to time it just right to where that ball lands over them and into his hands, and he nails it for that touchdown as well. I'm surprised that Herbert is doing this. I can't even begin to put it into words how amazed I am that he's doing this because you don't see rookie QBs do this. There's a few like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes that come in and you're going, oh my God, this kid's amazing. Herbert fits that. He fits that mold. He, he fits those kind of names. Now, is he going to be the Hall of Famer they are? That begins to be seen, but he's still making those kind of throws. Yeah, and I mean, it's obviously way too soon to tell and he could come crashing down to earth at some point and have a couple of bad games, but you just, there's just certain things that you just, you either have it or you don't. I mean, there's no way that's there, you know, 75 to 85% of the quarterbacks in the league can do some of the things that he's done in his first three games. But obviously he still has to play well. He still has to make good decisions. But I think there was another good example of something that went right in that game on the throw that you're talking about to Tyron Johnson just because on that play, you saw the Chargers do something they don't normally do. They went max protect. They only sent three people into routes on the play. And that play was 100% the shot they were trying to go for. They find Tyron Johnson a layer to throw, like you're talking about, in between two defenders deep down the field. And, I mean, Tyron Johnson just outran the defense on that play. But a good play call to give Justin Herbert just enough time to be able to set his three, set his feet and make that throw. He ends up getting hit at the end of it still. But they needed every split second right there. They got it done. That and another couple of plays. I mean, the screen play with Hunter Henry, just like the one we saw from Austin Eckler. There was a surprising amount of good play calls in this game. Even the Jalen Guyton play, you know the blitz is coming there. You have that guy running that route for a reason. So even though there was times where I struggled with the play calling, in these examples, I thought they were doing something right, and that's actually getting a little bit better. It is. Slowly but surely, it's getting better. I mean, if I had to do like a percentage type thing, you would say like, okay, maybe 5% of the plays week one were good, but then it like jumps up to like, okay, maybe like 50% of the plays are good. And then like slowly gets better. Like, okay, maybe 60%. Okay, maybe 65% of these plays are getting better. Like it's improving every game. You just want to see them actually make a full game of great play calls that come together to where the offense is just completely unstoppable and is consistent the whole time. This week we were really good the first half and then the second half we kind of started crashing you know whether that's because we got figured out or whether we just wrote a bunch of momentum the first half and things were just going our way whatever the case may be if you run 
really good play calls, you have a whole game of great plays, and you can even maintain the clock and keep Brady off the field while he's getting hot. I want to say it's a good thing that Michael Davis got a pick six, even though he gave up a bunch of other plays in this game. But the fact that Michael Davis got a pick six by jumping a route, reading the route and jumping it, I thought was pretty amazing. Yeah, he gave up a bunch of these big plays to Mike Evans that still bug the crap out of me because he didn't get his head turned around. But that pick six was pretty amazing. If we can get more of that, this defense can finally get the plus-minus ratio that we want. Yeah, and Michael Davis had a couple of moments, specifically when he tried to tackle that guy going into the end zone, Vaughn, the running back from Tampa Bay. I mean, that was about as soft as it got, and he was pointing at the sideline. He stepped out. You don't do that. I mean, you try to lay the guy out. I mean, that's what your job is to do. You can't be out there and play football unless you're willing to tackle but in that, I mean, I think Casey Hayward was taking a lot of that too. I mean, there was definitely some passes that landed underneath on Michael Davis where he was just giving such a cushion to an injured Mike Evans that it was mind-boggling. But, I mean, up in the air, this defense got tested deep, and we'll talk about that in the next segment. But I think finally finding that turnover definitely helped. If, if they don't get that, I mean, they really don't have a shot in this game, especially the way they played the second half. But if there was a, a lone bright spot, I think – there were parts of the first half that you like. I mean, I think the pressure was getting home a little bit more. Brady got absolutely smoked by Denzel Perryman on a play and made a terrible throw. It was affecting Tampa Bay in the first half, a couple of three and outs. They really only should have given up seven points, but this defense is predicated on getting the rush going and the pass rush, and when that's not there, it can get ugly. But getting back to one more thing that went right, I think there was a couple of guys on the offensive line that deserved getting Shouted out, according to Pro Football Focus, Forrest Lamp in this game gave up only gave up zero pressures, and Sam Tevy only gave up one pressure. Dan Feeney gave up three, Ryan Groy, Ryan Groy two, and Trey Pipkins three as well. But I think the rushing game and the Chargers not being able to run the ball effectively is something that this offensive line did not do well, and there's some blame on both sides for that, but... We expected this to be kind of a massacre for Justin Herbert, and that's the last thing you want is to get Justin Herbert hurt at this point, be throwing him out there behind an offensive line that is going to get him beat up. But for Forrest Lamp and Sam Tevy to have one pressure between the two of them against this defensive front while pass blocking, I do think that's something to commend, especially because we weren't necessarily expecting these guys to do this. No, you're not expecting these guys to do that. Like I said earlier, this offensive line is – is not expected to be great at all. They're better than what we thought they were. We, I could definitely say that. Definitely yeah, I mean, totally. Us, we're definitely scratching our head going, really? Only that many pressures? Really? We're actually getting some blocks? Like, what is going on here? What, where's, where was these guys the last couple of years? Like, yeah. They're molding pretty well together. I mean, Ryan Groy's not exactly the greatest fit on this offensive line but but he's what the third string right guard at this point too i mean it's crazy basically but everybody else out there is actually fitting pretty well and to hear how few pressures they were getting despite how many great guys are on this defensive line william golston vita vea dominica sue jason pierre paul shaquille barrett that's a lot of names (laughs) <laughs> that's a, that is a lot of names. And then you got to remember that they're bringing at least one linebacker on a blitz too, like a Devin White or something who's... A lot of blitzes, a lot of disguised coverages too. They're a team that brings a lot of guys up near the line of scrimmage and drops them back into coverage. That's something a lot of rookies struggle with as well. But you're absolutely right. Those guys had to combine for 12 sacks 
They only got two in this game, and one of them was Justin Herbert sliding three yards before the line of scrimmage. Which is going to be brought up later. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, only two sacks, and one of them, like you said, is one that should have been an incomplete pass, really. Right. The, the offensive line is overperforming, if you could say that. Like, they're out no, 100% our there. expectations. And that, that has to be a what win, right? And I would like to add one more thing to this what win, right? And that is the defense and this team knew that they were not the greatest team in this game. They knew Tampa Bay was the better team, but they still got in their head with trash talking and little things after the game, like, or after the play, I should say. They got in their head with little things after the, the play. And you can see it was working. Like Tampa Bay was more focused on trying to get revenge and trying to get a hit than they were about playing their kind of game in the first half until that fumble happened. Even totally. Jensen on Tampa Bay's offensive line kept on trying to get into skirmishes after every single play with one of the Chargers players. And it was funny as hell because he was now no longer trying to protect Brady. He was trying to throw someone on the floor. Yeah, Mike <laughs> Evans ends up play. getting a personal foul, 15 yards. Yeah, stuff like that is what helps you out. If you get in their head, you start becoming the better team. The thing that sucks is at halftime, you have a chance to calm down your guys. And you would they would have had to waste most of their halftime calming down their guys if not for that fumble. That fumble gave them a whole new life. So with the, before the fumble, they were doing great at getting in their head. And I think we should be doing that more often. Absolutely. I mean, they had just a really good energy about them until that fumble I think it all really came apart on that Mike Evans third down touchdown right there. I think if they can salvage a field goal attempt out of that, I think it feels a little bit different. I think that counts as a win for the defense, obviously. Maybe it goes into halftime with a little bit of a better attitude, but they seem deflated in the second half to be sure. But we do have some negative things to get into, as you've heard a couple of them sprinkled in into the what went right. We have coming up right after this. But first, I need to tell you guys that the only place that you should be looking for your auto parts is at rockauto.com. With the, num- with the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it is now impossible to stock all of the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. So why endure the often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait for the counterman to go find the parts on his computer when you can get everything you need at the best price delivered right to your door? Chain stores have different price tiers for professionals and mechanics. And for do-it-yourselfers at rockauto.com, all of those prices will be the same. You know you're getting the best price. And all you have to do is go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts they have available for your car or truck and write locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box, so they know we sent you? Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. This episode is also brought to you by Built Go from the creators of Built Bar. Comes a new way to get energy throughout your day if you're trying to break through the wall for the day and have to make it through the rest. I usually hit that wall around 5 o'clock. I need a nap, but you don't need one with a Built Go. Whether it's a mental or physical wall, break through it with Go every day. They're easy to take in one and a half ounce packages, and you can put it in your briefcase for the most focused presentation ever. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for your body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. Right now, they have three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. Right now, our listeners can go to BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED, and you'll get 30% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED, all caps, one word, for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. All right, well, now it is time to get into all of the things that went wrong in this game. 
and there's a lot to get into, and there's nobody I'd rather have tell me all of those things than the expert and all things wrong. And that is John Kegel, who actually had some things that went right in this game too. But John, now it's time to get into your area of expertise. So when you're starting with this game, where a lot of things went wrong, where do you start as the biggest thing that went wrong in Sunday's game? Uh, the biggest thing would definitely have to be the turnovers. It would be that fumble before halftime. That changed everything. Whether you want to blame Kelly or Herbert, regardless, that's, uh, that's something that you need to be practicing so much during practice, even during like little time that you have resting on the sideline between you know reps. Like if Easton Stick goes in and Darius Bradwell goes in to take some reps, and you're on the sideline, you should be practicing a few handoffs. It's something that you got to make sure you have ready. You got to make sure you have that chemistry. And it was obvious that Herbert put it, the ball too high, right up in the shoulder pad area when it's supposed to be right in the gut. And then Kelly tried to clamp down on it, and he tried to run before making sure he had that ball. And it was all just a train wreck after that. Right when that ball came loose, Tampa Bay had it, and that was all the momentum changers that they needed without that you're probably going into halftime you have a bunch of momentum you have all the confidence in the world tampa bay is going to be upset in their feelings and they're going to need a prep talk from their coach to make them feel a lot better like a little kid that didn't get his way at recess and the, the fumble just absolutely ruins that it did i mean it's hard to really quantify how big it felt just because in that moment it was just absolutely crushing Forget about the just seven-point swing of things. I mean, potentially it's a 14-point swing. The Chargers had enough time to get down the field. They had timeouts to maybe potentially get a touchdown. I wish they would have thrown it on that play just because I think, and even he said in his press conference, that's standard. That's something you do there. If it pops off, then you start getting into your two-minute offense. But it's like if it's standard, then why are we running the same play right there? So I know everyone would have crushed Lynn if he would have just kneeled it out there, so I'm not really going to blame him for that. But I would say that on that play, I think you're right. It is both of those guys. It wasn't a great handoff, but if you're Josh Kelly, you have to be able to secure that ball before you start getting into your moves. And Dominic and Sue sitting in their laps didn't make it any easier either. But that's definitely something that went wrong in this game out of the many things to choose from, including Justin Herbert. Obviously, we talked about the what went right and talked about all of his amazing throws. But at the end of the game, once again, he finally... Gets the interception so close to getting that game where he just plays so brilliantly and ends it without a turnover. He was making pretty safe throws most of the day. He didn't have a ton of interceptable passes or anything like that. I mean, super accurate all day long except for one screen pass I can remember where he threw it way over the head of Keenan Allen. Besides that, all good and then just one air mail interception at, at the end of the game, John. And obviously, if we're going to give him credit on the front end, we also have to talk about you know some of the things he has to improve on. Well, yeah, and as we mentioned before, he's made a lot of great throws. He would have had to make another great throw to make the throw he was trying to do. He was trying to dump it into Keenan Allen between a linebacker and a safety, and he just couldn't get the nose of the ball to dip down enough to get it into where Keenan could make the throw, and it over it overshot Keenan and got intercepted. Is it a bad decision? No, because, I mean, it's it's a good decision, but is it a bad throw? Yeah, it is. Is if he's not ready to make that throw, then you should probably avoid that kind of throw until you have the exact arm work to make the ball dip into like a basketball shot into that little spot. Because what he did was kind of a line drive that went straight over Keenan into the safety. That's one of those throws that Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady can do really well. And earlier I put him in that class, but he still has work to do to become fully in that class. 
So I, I think that's definitely something that went wrong. But if we're going to talk about also some stuff that he did wrong, why are you sliding behind the line of scrimmage when you're outside of the pocket? You were right. out of the pocket. You throw the ball past the line of scrimmage out of bounds and you live to fight another day. Why would you slide? Why? I'm still trying to figure out what went through your head. I don't want to hear a rookie mistake on this one. Most of the stuff he does is a rookie mistake, but you've known since college and high school that when you're out of the pocket and you've got nowhere to throw the ball, you throw it out of bounds past the line of scrimmage. It's a common sense yeah. play. That, that one I cannot put as a rookie mistake. The rest of them I can, but not that one. Yeah, but I mean, even if you're classifying it as a rookie mistake, I mean, that's such a teachable moment, right? To me, I mean, I guess the only argument would just be that he lost his place on the field for a second, which is obviously not a good excuse at all. You always want to know where you're at, but there's obviously been an emphasis on, hey, Justin, stop taking all of those big hits. And he had, he was going to meet somebody at or behind the line of scrimmage more than likely. But yes, obviously, you have to throw the ball away there. But I think that's a moment if you're Pep Hamilton sitting with Justin Herbert, who's watching a ton of films, supposedly, that's an easy fix, right? So, I mean, that doesn't really worry me going forward. But it was obviously a bad play at that moment, something you can't take there. The next play comes up one yard short of a first down, and that was pretty bad. I mean, that's pretty simple math. You lose those three yards right there, and then it comes back to haunt you. But I think that is something he'll be able to correct. So even though in the game it definitely angered me, uh, I'm not worried about that as far as him going forward just because you saw already him you know, going to the left, trying to fit a ball to Keenan Allen, throwing across his body the next game. He's running that same way. He runs and gets a first down as well. And then you'd hope to see in the next game if he's put in that situation, rolling out of the pocket like you've been asking him to, you know, he's able to make a good decision and just throw the ball away there, especially at that moment of the game. But... There was plenty of other things that went wrong in this game. And for me, one of my keys to success was controlling the line of scrimmage. I knew it was going to be a tall task against a good defensive line in Tampa Bay and a good offensive line of Tampa Bay. And the Chargers did not win at the line of scrimmage. They couldn't get any push on the offensive line. They couldn't create any holes really for running backs. The running backs didn't look great either. But when you're looking at these numbers, John, Justin Herbert leading the Chargers in rushing yards. I mean, five for 14 yards. Joshua Kelly comes back down to earth, nine for seven yards, less than one yard per carry. Justin Jackson finally comes back. He didn't seem as explosive as he was pre-injury either. He goes six for nine yards. And then on the other side of things, you have Ronald Jones going 20 carries for 111 yards. And it just seemed like there was too many times when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were just running at will against the Chargers, specifically early in the game and later on in the game. And I think that was just something that's always hard to overcome when you're losing the game in the trenches like that. Well, I think that goes to last week when I said, you asked me who the guy that I'm more, most thinking is the biggest injury for the game. And I said, Justin Jones. And you basically were like, okay, it's the apocalypse. He said, Justin Jones. But I think it's the same thing this game. Without Justin Jones on that defensive line, you're more susceptible to running plays. And I, you saw it again this week, and it don't matter what the other guys are going to do. I think even with Yushin Owosu on the line, I think you still have a good chance of stopping the run. But I don't think anybody else goes against goes next to Linval Joseph as a good run stuffer besides Justin Jones. Everybody else on there is usually more of a get in the backfield, create a, create a little bit of pressure on the pass type of defense. So I think Justin Jones stops the run well without him. You're going to see what you've seen the past few weeks. You had Mike Davis running on you, and then you had Ronald Jones running all over you. Like It's probably going to keep happening until Justin Jones comes back or you try to use a linebacker the right way to fill in a hole. 
But offensive line-wise, wow, man. You could not get one decent run up the middle. And I said in my keys to the game, you had to establish the run in the middle, and they tried to do it. As they tried to do it, I will give them credit for. The offensive play calling, try to get the Chargers to run the ball up the middle a lot to set up screen plays, but they could not be effective at it. They were getting two yards, one yard, no yards. I couldn't see that five-yard run, six-yard run that I wanted to see up the middle. But could you be could it be because Austin Eckler left the game and they realized, okay, this is a weakness. Now let's attack it and make them beat us through the air? Sure. But regardless, the offensive line should be opening those holes for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there just wasn't a lot there. There was a couple of missed holes, missed reads by the running backs. But, I mean, overall, it's, you can't look at that game and say that's good for the Chargers offense. I mean, credit to Justin Herbert for really only being one-dimensional uh, one dimensional against a team you don't really want to be one-dimensional against and still being able to kind of throw it all over them at times. But I think the last thing, I mean, defensively, the Chargers gave up 24 points in the second half. And I think a lot of that has to do with not getting home with their pressure and the Chargers get zero sacks in this game. They get some pressures in there. They hit Brady early on in the game. But once again, when the pressure is not able to get to Brady, when you don't have guys coming up the middle, when they're keeping you off balance and running when they should pass and passing when they should run, which is something that we've seen teams use to attack the Chargers. I mean, the Panthers did it late in the game, getting them in their base defense and having Kazir White trying to cover O.J. Howard, who pushed off of him, and Rob Gronkowski, and all of these things. And they're really just getting, I mean, outplayed. It's a chess match, and they're they're not winning in those situations and getting caught in unfavorable matchups. But a lot of those things are cured when you're getting home. And obviously, there's no Melvin Ingram. Joey Bosa, I still think, was fine. I mean, people were calling for his head and saying he's not producing anything when he had a sack in each game going into this. So I'm not here for any of that nonsense. But I will say that, I mean, without a pass rush, this defense is pretty much toothless because you saw what happened on the back end when Brady was able to let some plays develop. Yeah, and you got to remember, Joey Bosa's doing this by himself. There's no With Melvin an angle Ingram. and a tricep injury. <laughs> yeah, there's no Melvin Ingram. There's no Justin Jones. He's missing a couple of linebackers and a safety and Derwin James all, by the way. Bosa is hurt, and yet he was still creating a decent push. He was getting a decent push, but because Brady knows that nobody else is a threat, he's just going to step up in the pocket, let Bosa go by him, and make the play he needs to make. <laughs> nobody else is getting these pressures. If you want to blame Bosa, then I'm sorry, but you're just as bad as the people that are saying that it's all Justin Herbert's fault we lost this game, <laughs> when it's obviously not. I mean, I think we should also say what went wrong is the people on Facebook that are saying Justin Herbert lost the game because of that one interception. Really, it drives me insane. See, I'm tired of arguing not, with these people. <laughs> did you not see the other 3.75 quarters that yeah. he played in this game? <laughs> I do. I just think it's so crazy, dude. Like, you do we see like what these quarterbacks usually come in and do? Like, I just feel like people are totally ignoring the possibility that Justin Herbert getting thrown in way above, you know, over his head is going. 18 for 32 with 174 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Like, what we're seeing is not normal, and I think people are already kind of taking that for granted. It's kind of ridiculous. It's it's highly ridiculous, and the fact that he's making stats that are going into NFL all-time great stats, like second ever to do this, third ever to do this, almost was the first ever to do this, and it's like... 10 yards away from being the first ever, 300 yards in his first three starts. 
Exactly. And but yet people are sitting here like, oh my god, he's losing his games. Tyrod's one and oh, he's 0 and three. Like, yeah, and guess what? When in all three games that he played, he's outscored Tyrod. And the defense has been injured almost every single game more and more and more. It's always been, okay, after this game, we lost this many defensive players. Then the next game, we lost this many defensive players. But yet Herbert still keeps you in the game while going up against Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady and still going toe-to-toe with those guys. I I don't understand what your logic is in the fact fact that you come to the conclusion that he lost the game because of one drive when you could have... Just easily just blame the defense for giving up 38 points or Josh Kelly for getting up a fumble. I, I don't know. I can't I can't even put the words on it really. Yeah, I mean it's just I think a lot of people are just taking for granted that it doesn't ever start like this. Like there's no realm where the Chargers draft a guy that two other teams needing quarterbacks pass on and he comes out and does this after they just wait for him to fall in their lap. After really now looking like Oregon was holding him back and not the other way around these last few years. I mean, it just shouldn't look like this given the present circumstances, given the throws that he's making and just the difficult level of the throws. I mean, you can look all over Twitter. The people that are gushing about these things are people that know football, people that knocked Herbert for these things in the draft, but there's just things he's putting out there that it's just like, okay, you'll take a bad throw every game to get 10 brilliant throws I mean, obviously, you know, sometimes you airmail a ball and it just lands harmlessly on the turf. It happens to a lot of quarterbacks. Sometimes it lands in the opposite hands, you know. So he's obviously learning at this point. But, I mean, to have three touchdowns, his first ever three touchdown game, to see what he was able to do, to see how calm he stays, I mean, in all of these big-time moments for this team. I mean, he's getting I mean, opposing coaches telling him how good I he know. is. you got Bruce Arians telling Anthony Lynn how good he is while Anthony Lynn is sitting here going, yeah, he's decent, like, do you know the quarterbacks that Bruce Arians has worked with? We're talking about Ben Roethlisberger. We're talking about Peyton Manning. I mean, now Tom Brady. And this, I mean, he, he's saying he, he's saying nicer things about Justin Herbert than he is about Tom Brady. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, he, he actually, Tom Brady's first game in Tampa Bay, he sounded like Anthony Lynn on yeah. Tom Brady. <laughs> it was yeah. amazing. And yet here he is going, you got a great kid here. That guy's pretty amazing. Like, oh, really? You hear that, Lynn? Did you hear that? You have something amazing here. Like, you hear that, fans? We have something amazing here. Even us, we were saying, oh, guys, this is a horrible draft pick. We should have got two or should have got offensive line. Now we're sitting here going, this guy's amazing. This is our future. And, you know, the what went wrong segment turned into a gushing over Justin Herbert segment. But we're always going to be the people like, yes, we're going to gush over him when he does great things, and we're still going to hold him accountable when he does bad things. But it's just like, the people being so overly critical, it's like, please just enjoy what you have right now. The amount of teams that have quarterbacks you've heard of that would trade them right now for Justin Herbert, I think would surprise a lot of people. I think we have to add one more. What went wrong before we close out this show? And I think all the people listening can agree with me on this. When Daniel Wade puts the crossover Tampa Bay show as oh, no. the game recap show. Oh no, I'm totally going to edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I did it, okay? I did it. I, it was late. Bucks cross looked a lot like Bucks loss. It was 1.30 in the morning. Uh, I, I have no excuses. The glitch in the system, that's what happened. We got to hold Daniel Wade uh, more accountable. Um, he's he's doing a decent job, but that's why David Jogemeyer is our starter at editing. <laughs> oh, yeah, David Jogemeyer is our starter at editing, but unfortunately, David wasn't able to be here today because... 
he and Austin Eckler both had a hamstring injury. So we're definitely wishing David well because he was last in the emergency room right now. We're still waiting to see how intense that hamstring injury is. But first Austin Eckler, now David Drogemeyer. That's another thing that went wrong today. But that is going to wrap things up for today's show. We have nowhere else to go with this thing. It's going way too long. Tomorrow, guys, we're going to be getting into some fan voicemails. We have a few good ones that we're really happy to get into. A lot of questions going to be answered on that. We still have some spots for a couple more people. If you want to get in on it, the number is 323-524-7924. And we try to get every Chargers voicemail played on the show. But you can also follow us on Twitter at LockedOnLAC. And to like the Facebook page, Locked On Chargers, as well as subscribing to us wherever you get your podcast from. You can find the Locked On Chargers podcast there. But we'll be back tomorrow to get into some fan voicemails. Until then, take it easy and go Bolts.